Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. And in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having it nailed it to the cross. I'm sorry, we'll also read verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and uh, authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. May God have blessing to the reading of his word. And now to the preaching of his word. You may be seated. We learned this morning, congregation, about the great benefits that we will have in the new creation. And saints of God, here's the great news for us Christians, is that we don't have to wait for the new heavens and new earth to experience some of the great benefits of the new heavens and the new earth. That is to say this, we can live the life of heaven more appropriately, we can live the divine life now. You live the life of heaven right now. You don't need to wait for the earth to be remade. And you don't need to wait for your nature to be consummated or reach that uh, final end point to, at least in this life, experience what we will experience in the end. And for our time together this afternoon... One of the great things that we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth is also what we experience now. It's simply this. The power of sin no longer reigns in our bodies. That is something that we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth with respect of actual sins. But here on this side of heaven, we experience something of the new heavens and the new earth Namely, that that which held you in captivity and bondage, that which has reigned from Adam to Christ, reigns no longer. The power of sin, saints of God, has been put to death and will no longer resurrect itself to to regain any sort of power in you. That's a sermon, essentially. That is what we need to hear. It's one thing to know these things, but we need to be reminded of these things. Because when we sin, we might feel like, oh man, is the power of sin taking over me? And we need to be reminded, saints of God, that although you sin, and although you may sin greatly, sin will never dominate you any longer. Those who are of the faith and are true Christians... God will see them and be with them to the very end. Two points just for us to consider this, saints of God. Number one, our nature, or rather in Christ, our nature is healed. And number two, in Christ, the power of sin is destroyed. Before Christ saved us, congregation, Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That is to say... Who we are was infected and corrupted by sin. Our wills, our minds, our affections, all of our being was spoiled by sin. 
and saints of God, this is how far Adam fell in the garden. That we did not only merit hell, but also at the very core of who we are, we became less human. We became tainted and stained by sin. First, the highest part of us was infected. That is to say, our minds. Our minds were infected by sin. The scriptures speak of this regularly. Ephesians 4.18, they they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. Here we see that because of Adam's sin, we all have a darkened mind. Now let me say this, congregation. I'm speaking of the darkened mind, the darkened will, the darkened passions. That is not you now. And I, and, and I think a lot of times ministers might preach it in a way in which that's who you still are. That's not who you are. Amen. You don't have a darkened mind. And you don't have a darkened will. Amen. And your passions are not utterly disordered. That is not you. This is who you used to be. But we had a darkened mind. Meaning, saints, by nature, although we knew that there is a God, we did not give to him what he was properly owed and due. We did not accept that there is a God because our minds are hostile to God. Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And we see this in society today, that because our minds are darkened, we don't have the ability to think heavenly thoughts. We don't think God's thoughts after him. Because our minds are darkened, people don't think upward. You can go back to the sermon I preached a few weeks ago when we talked about how the mind is so darkened that they now have disordered natural things and placed it out for the whole world to not only see but embrace men sleeping with men. Men wanting to be women. Women thinking that at the moment of conception, that one in her womb is not a human being. Therefore, I can do what I want with it. We see in our present day congregation how dark the mind is. For the darkened mind now is being displayed in Various stores. I mean, you, you, it's, it's hard for us to walk into a store. It's hard for us to watch a movie now without seeing the darkened mind on display. People now think downward. St. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 4. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given, things, uh, given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. In other words, congregation, the dark mind produces dark practices. The dark mind, saints of God, what flows from it is a darkened will, darkened desires. That's what the will is. Passions. The darkened mind does not love the light. St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. They're not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Have a little grace with your friends and family members who don't accept the gospel. 
Have a little grace with them. Don't get so angry with them, St. Paul is saying. Because here, he's saying that the, 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 the natural mind cannot in and of itself raise itself above its natural capacities to know God and love him. That's essentially what Paul is saying. They are spiritually discerned. The congregation is not only the mind that is darkened, but our wills and affections are darkened. That is to say, our inclinations and our desires are disordered. Disordered. In our sinful state, we want things we shouldn't want. And we love things we ought not to love. And we see that also in how many of us treat our bodies. St. Paul brings us out at the end of verse, uh, at the end of Colossians 1.21. After he said that we were hostile in attitude, he says that we engage in evil deeds. Again, congregation, what flows from a mind that's hostile to God is a, is a, is, is, is a life that's lived, that shows itself in hostility to God. That's what we see in society today. That their lives are showing how hostile they are to God. Now, that's not to say that in our sinful condition we didn't do any good deeds. But it is to say that those good deeds were only good from a human perspective. They were not good in the eyes of God. So what St. Paul is teaching us congregation is that before God granted us saving faith, we were sinners from head to foot. Before God granted us saving faith, we were sinners from head to foot. Our minds, our wills, our our desires, our affections, passions were all spoiled by sin. So in verse 11 of our text, St. Paul reminds his hearers, but also he reminds us of the great news of Jesus Christ. That the Christian who once was a slave to sin has been made alive in Jesus Christ. That is the great news of the gospel, or rather one of the great news. Is that that which was, that which enslaved us, we are now freed of. That which enslaved us, we are now free of. And to get this point, St. Paul uses something that our, his hearers would be familiar with. He says again in verse 11, And in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision performed without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision, as many of you know, was the sign that marked people out in the Old Testament as being the people of God. But listen to these words of, from a theologian of how in the Old Testament, many of the, of the Jewish people, of the Israelites, and the, even going further, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, how they started to distort circumcision and use circumcision as a badge of honor. He says, although circumcision was required by the Mosaic law, the right was neglected during the days when the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness. The right was resumed when they entered the land of Canaan, with Joshua performing the ritual in the generation before in the wilderness. And here it is. The Hebrew people came to take great pride in circumcision. In fact, it became a badge of their spiritual and national superiority. This fostered an exclusiveness mentality. A daily prayer of a strict Jewish male was to thank God that he was neither a woman, a Samaritan, nor a Gentile. 
The Gentiles came to be regarded by Jews as the uncircumcision, a term of disrespect, implying that non-Jewish peoples were outside the circle of God's love. The term circumcised and uncircumcised became emotionally charged symbols to Israel and their Gentile neighbors. This issue later brought discord into the fellowship of the New Testament church and especially caused confusion about how one obtained genuine salvation. As we can see, circumcision was used by the Jews and later as an exclusive club. That if I am circumcised, then I am in the circle of God's love. And if you are not, then you are not in the circle of God's love. And then, and then, circumcision was to be used as something as you must have it in order to be saved. And if you're not circumcised, then you're not saved. And here, St. Paul, who I'm sure formerly used to preach that nonsense, dashes to pieces the idea that one must believe in Christ plus in order to be saved. Again, he dashes to pieces the heresy, and especially for these young people here that can hear my words, the heresy the, the, the lie from the pit of hell, from Satan himself, that in order to be saved, you need Jesus Christ plus. That is a lie. And let us never believe that lie. In fact, thanks to God, if we can think of all the lies that have come from that father of lies, Satan, is this not, is this not at least at the top? That, Christian, you must believe in Jesus Christ plus do A, B, and C. Now, saints of God, we believe that you believe in Christ. You must believe in Christ and produce good works. But rather, those good works are merely just fruits, demonstrations, a testimony of you believing in Christ. But they don't add to the finished and saving work of Jesus Christ. And here, St. Paul says that physical circumcision was never to be used. That God never intended physical circumcision in the Old Testament to be used to save someone. But rather, God was always after the circumcision of one's heart. The circumcision of one's heart. That is to say, physical circumcision, it only pointed to a deeper reality. That one needed their heart to be cleansed from sin. And circumcision was a great example to use. For the reason why a male baby was circumcised was to prevent any diseases to spread unto their future wives. It was, it was really just a cleansing thing. Physical circumcision then was a cutting off of what could potentially be harmful and deadly. That's physical circumcision. And so it is with spiritual circumcision. In spiritual circumcision, that which is most harmful and deadly is cut off. Which is what? Our corruption and the power of sin. God cuts that off. He cleanses us. And this, saints, makes spiritual circumcision far more superior than physical circumcision, St. Paul is arguing. For while circumcision cuts off the foreskin of the flesh, spiritual circumcision cuts off 
the whole body of sin. And here St. Paul is driving home the fact that in Christ, that which had a hold on us since birth is now cut off. That in Christ, that which had a hold on us since birth is now cut off. Now, of course, that doesn't mean, congregation, that we won't sin, can't sin. But what it means is sin has no power over us. Saints of God, I know it's hot. I know that we had all a great meal. Listen to me now. Sin has no power over you. Thank the Lord that sin no longer can dominate you as it once did. Sin is no longer something, congregation, that can win year after year in us. Ultimately to the point where it destroys us and we are separated from God for all eternity. But sin, congregation, is no longer something that we always, at every moment, at every time, in every instant, just given the right temptation, we will give into. That power has been broken. But in Christ, congregation, in Christ, we are truly circumcised of our sins. We are truly circumcised of our sins. And did you notice, did you notice, congregation, who performs such spiritual circumcision? As if spiritual circumcision couldn't be greater. Here he says that the one who performs physical circumcision is greater than Moses and even greater than whatever doctor performs circumcision on that male baby. The one who performs spiritual circumcision is God. Is God. The Lord says in Ezekiel 36, 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here, the heart is not merely just the organ in your body, but really the heart is meant to be, is meant to encompass the whole of who we are. The whole soul of us. Not merely just heart and everything. No, all of who you are is changed. God will give us his spirit in order to heal us. But notice, when he heals us, he doesn't put us in a neutral position. But rather, he heals us and he elevates us. He heals us and he elevates us. He doesn't just make you well, he makes you well, well. He gives you the very life of heaven now. He elevates our nature so that we are no longer under the power and corruption of sin. To to have a heart of flesh congregation simply means to have our minds renewed. To have our wills inflamed with, with love for God. This, saints, is the beauty of God saving us. We already heard it this morning, wonderfully and beautifully, that God doesn't just give us Jesus Christ in order for us to stand before him blameless. But also he gives us Jesus Christ so that we can be like him. That's the full orbit of salvation. Not really just a right standing, 
but also a very likeness, a very likeness to the Holy Trinity. Christ, rather, Christ we will be like. There is much we can learn from this Forest Point congregation, but a lot of this truth. Since we have been cut off from the bondage of sin, let us continue to die to remaining sins. Whatever sin, whether it's a sin of pride, sin of lust, the sin of slothfulness, laziness, whatever sin it is, ask the Lord to help you put it to death. You don't have to wait to the eternal state for that one sin that continues to be a thorn at your side to be finally put to death. You can kill sin now. Never forget, congregation, that although it is true that this sin has no power over us. Again, sin has no power over us. Never get it twisted. Never forget that we can give sin power by giving it attention. Although sin will never have power over us finally, ultimately, the way it once was, we can give it power by feeding into our desires of the flesh, by feeding into the things that are not to glorify God. Sin left unrepentant is dangerous. That is how sin grows more inside one, is when they just leave sin alone after they have sinned and not repent of it. It grows like a cancer. For unrepented sin leads us to be comfortable with our sin. We begin to see sin as normal. In congregation to the Christian, if there's one thing that identifies us as Christians, it's simply this, that sin is not normal to us. And sin is never to be normal to us. We should never be comfortable with sin. Saints of God, let it never be so of us. For sin, congregation, stops us from being all whom God created us to be. I mean, when temptation rises, congregation, think to yourself, if God has graced you at that moment and for you to cooperate with such grace, if you can just for a moment look to the right and see what sin actually wants from you, it wants to kill you, separate you from God, but also on a natural level, make you less human. Because as we will see later from St. Paul's words, it is the true Christian that is truly alive. The one who is not a slave to sin. The one who doesn't give in to sin. As we continue on our verses, St. Paul continues to drive this thought of our death to sin by, by also pointing to our baptism and the Lord's burial. This is point two and our final point, which is in Christ the power of sin is removed. St. Paul says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Here St. Paul reminds his, his hearers and us of their baptism as an outward demonstration of Christ's victory over sin. He's not pointing merely to the physical act of baptism, but rather what baptism signifies. What does baptism mean when we 
go into the waters and come out. Simply this. That sin was put to death. That it was an outward demonstration before the masses that I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am alive in Jesus Christ. St. Paul points to our baptism congregation as a picture of how cut off we are from the power of sin. Now you might say, I know what it means to cut something off. Like, for instance, if I had scissors right now, if I cut this Bible, I would have one piece here, one piece here. I know what it means for things to be separated from one another. And some might think that, that we are cut off from sin by way of distance. That sin is over here, I'm over here. Or some people might think that sin is not as close to me as it once was. It's not as near to me as it once was. But thanks of God, God's word does not give us that picture of sin and our relationship now to sin and the power of sin. But rather, God's word says that we are so cut off from sin that we can say that the power of sin was buried in the grave. That's how far off we are from sin. That's, that's, we are at an infinite distance now from the power of sin because we are in Jesus Christ. And for the true Christian, is that not of the greatest of news? We all know, congregation, that until Christ returns, nobody is escaping the grave. As much as I want, I would love for my grandma, grandpa, all of my family members who I love, my auntie, all of them, to come out of the grave on, you know, on a Tuesday and just, I can go over there and say hi to them. But we know, we know that death is the end. That no one is coming back alive from death. And here St. Paul says, that is how we are to think of the power of sin. There is no possibility for my father to come back alive save for the resurrection of Christ. And likewise, there is no possibility of the power of sin to come back alive save for when Christ raises all from the dead and he takes the power of sin and finally throws it into the lake of fire. Saints of God, think of the ones who you love and how badly you would want to see them, but they cannot come back. As much as you, they will not come back. And St. Paul says again, that is how we are to think of the power of sin. That it's in the grave. It cannot come back alive. The great news and comfort of the Christian congregation is that you don't ever have to worry about sin dominating and reigning in your mortal bodies anymore. For since nobody can come back from the dead, likewise sin cannot resurrect itself and reign in your mortal bodies as it once did. And St. Paul gives us an objective reasoning why. Why is it the case? Just in case someone says, well, Paul, how do I know that sin will never have power over me again? How do I know that? St. Paul says, because Jesus Christ was buried and he was raised from the dead. That is why. Think of what Christ was doing on the cross congregation. Jesus Christ on the cross was dying for our sins. But how do we truly know that what Christ did on the cross was not in vain? 
That he didn't just die amongst the martyrs. How do we truly know that Christ has defeated our sin by his resurrection? How do we know? Or rather, we know by his resurrection. St. Paul tells us, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith, is, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Simply put, if Christ was not raised, then the power of sin is not put to death. If Christ is not raised, then you are still in your sins. St. Paul's uh, doctrine of the resurrection is so grand and glorious that he can say that if Christ is not raised, then all of what he did was in vain. And what you believe in, and what you are doing here on a Sunday at twelve at one twelve, is of no use. You are wasting your time if Jesus Christ is not raised. Young people, let me tell you, Christ was raised. Middle-aged, old people, never forget, Christ was raised. That is the hope of our religion. That on the third day, the God-man rose from the dead. <clears throat> if Christ was not raised, then we are still in our sins. If Christ is not raised, then we are not justified. We are not declared innocent and righteous before God. If Christ is not raised, then we are still under the condemnation of sin, under the power of sin, that nothing was defeated, that Jesus Christ was strictly, simply put, a, a good moral teacher. If Christ is not raised, congregation, we can say, then how can Christ give us power over sin in the grave if he could defeat sin in the grave himself? But here's the great news of the gospel. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. Oh, saints. Take a moment today and just read 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, that is Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. How do we know then? That the power of sin will never reign in our mortal bodies ever again. Because Jesus Christ on our behalf, when he was buried, buried our sins with him. That is how we know. He buried our sins with him. And when Christ rose from the dead, the power of sin did not follow him out of the tomb. That is how we know. But rather it remained in the grave. And by faith, Jesus Christ makes us alive together with him. Saints, only the Christian, and I said this already, but only the Christian is considered truly alive. Now, that's interesting, right? The Bible says a lot about us being alive as Christians. But how is that so? I mean, we have an essence, we have existence, we're here. But it's pointing to a deeper reality. And that is this, that only the Christian knows their end properly. And that is God. Only the Christian that has been given the virtues of faith, hope, and love can live in the manner in which man is supposed to live. First, rightly ordered to God and then rightly ordered to neighbor. Doing all things for the glory and love of God and loving neighbor as thyself. Only the Christian, only the Christian is alive. 
truly alive, truly and authentically human. So for those who are not saved, you're living, you're living a half human life. For those who are not saved, you're not living the way in which God has intended you to live. For those who are not saved, congregation, you're not living the way in which God has created us to live. Simply put, if you want to live your best life now, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how one lives their best life now. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just what you get, but more so who you are now. Who you are. Lastly, which is probably my favorite part of the whole text. What is the means by which Jesus Christ puts an end to our sins? What's the means? Verse 14 and 15. Lovely text. Having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Oh, what St. Paul is telling us simply this, that ancient debt that we owe to God, Christ nailed it to the cross. That's to say, rulers and authorities thought that they were nailing the human wrists of, of, of Christ, in which they were. But while they were nailing the wrists of Christ, they were also, or rather, Christ was also nailing our sins to the cross. There, there was something happening there on the death of cross, on the death of Christ, that the, 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 the ones who put him to death, that Satan himself could not see. <laughs> and this is why I love what St. Paul says at the end of verse 15, or rather in verse 15. He says, and we had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumph over them through him. Just two things to note before we close. First, St. Paul said that at the death of Christ, rulers and authorities were disarmed. At the death of Christ, the evil man who put him to death, the fallen angels, Satan himself, were disarmed. Think of those who put our Lord to death, congregation. Many believe that Jesus Christ, who was the only sinless one who's ever lived, was actually the worst of the worst of criminals. They thought in their mind that they were doing the right thing. Give us Barabbas and let him die by crucifixion. And the way that they thought that they could disarm the growing ministry of Christ, the way that Satan thought that they could stop this man from Nazareth, Nazareth was by putting him to death. That is how we'll stop him. But, oh, saints, the foolishness of the world. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame things which are strong. The evil rulers and authorities thought that through strength and brute force, Jesus would be disarmed and defeated. But what they didn't know is that God would use their evil and transform it into the ultimate good. How is sin and evil defeated saints? What is God's answer to the evil and sin that has plagued humanity since the fall of Adam? What will God's response be to sin? 
Holy Scripture tells us is the cross. That's God's response. It's the cross. The cross teaches us that evil will not overcome evil. That violence will not overcome violence. That sin cannot be overcome by brute force. And that peace will not be brought about by power. But the end of reign, or rather the end of the power and reign of sin and evil will only be brought about by love. That is how evil and sin is destroyed by love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. People say, what would you rather have? Be. Would you rather be feared or loved? Love is the strongest thing in this world. Love is what broke congregation, is what broke our bondage of sin and death. The cross teaches us that evil is overcome not by judges and military leaders, but by a servant. The cross teaches us that evil is not overcome by the sword but by a gentle and humble heart. What we learn from the foot of the cross congregation is that what the world calls foolishness, what what do you mean you will be saved by believing in this one that dies, is indeed the wisdom and power of God. For it was at that moment, congregation, it was at that moment when all of history was turned around. It was at that moment In those 24 hours, the world was changed. That the curse of Adam that has plagued humanity for all since Christ was defeated. That the reign and power of sin was destroyed. In closing congregation, what you will receive in heaven, you have now. The power of sin and death is given to you now. So saints of God, do not give sin any inch. Do not give sin any centimeter. Do not give sin any room in your hearts to make a home. But continue to kill and die to sin. Let's pray.